This morning, though, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 5. I want to read verses 1 through 11 and hear the word of the Lord as I read, beginning in verse 1. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. The fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. When they had done when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them and they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of the fish that they had taken And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this word, for this look into the life and ministry of Jesus. Father, as we consider What takes place in these 11 verses this morning? We ask that by your spirit, you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and that you would transform us by your grace. Father, help us understand that we may live in a way that pleases you. Convict us of our sins. Conform us more to the image of Jesus. Lord, If for those who may be here and not following Jesus, would you bring them to saving faith this day? We ask for your help now. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, it's quite easy to be a fan of Jesus. Think about that for a moment. It's easy to be a fan of Jesus. You have Christians, or at least professed Christians, from many kinds of backgrounds and experiences and faith traditions. You have professing Christians from mainline Protestant churches, which lean theologically to the left. You have Christians from conservative evangelical churches on the theological right. You have Christians, professed Christians in between those groups. You have Orthodox Christians. You have Roman Catholic believers. You have all of these groups who profess to follow Jesus. And the one thing they have in common, as different as they are, In so many other things, the one thing that they all would say they have in common is Jesus. But you don't even have to look within the Christian tradition to find Jesus being being a popular figure. Even within the unbelieving world, there is much about Jesus to admire. Whether it was his ethical teachings, his spiritual insights, his moral example. What we find is both unbelievers and believers being attracted to Jesus for a variety of different reasons. Jesus has become really kind of the the figurehead or kind of the popularized version of a leader within many faith traditions and even outside of the faith 
unbelievers give some level of respect towards him. You know, it's easy to be a fan of Jesus, especially if we think he exists to serve our agendas and give us what we desire. If Jesus becomes a means to get the things you want, then you're all for him. You're his biggest fan. But here's the reality that we all need to hear and be reminded of today that I think this passage really helps us understand. Jesus never calls us to be a fan. He calls us to be a disciple. And there's a radical difference between the two. A fan of Jesus and a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus are two very different things. In our text today, Jesus continues on in the early stages of his ministry, but he now begins to call people to join him in his ministry team. He begins to call the very first disciples. And what we're gonna see as we unpack these first 11 verses this morning, particularly in his call to Simon Peter, we're gonna see what's involved in becoming a disciple, a follower of Jesus, not merely a fan. What is a disciple? We see four things, particularly here in this passage, that gives shape to our understanding of what a disciple is. Or we could even say, these are things that every disciple, every follower of Jesus needs in his or her life. Let's look at them together. We'll begin with the first one. Why would we begin with the third one, right? We'll begin with the first one. First of all, a disciple has an unyielding faith. A disciple has an unyielding faith. Just to give you a little bit of background and context, we see really the context being set for us in the first three verses. We're told there that on one occasion, there was a crowd pressing in on Jesus. He's near the lake, and there's this crowd that's pressing in on him, so much so, we're told that they're pressing in on him to hear God's word, and and they're pressing in so much on him that, that he has no choice but to really get into a boat and kind of press, move out into the water a little bit so that he can continue teaching. Like a floating pulpit of sorts. Told that he gets in Simon's boat, puts out a little from the land so that he could continue to teach the people from the boat there in verse three. We know that this is Jesus's ministry. Back in chapter four, the last verse of that chapter, we're told that he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. And now he's preaching Lakeside, that'd be a great place to be preaching, right? By the lake, in a boat, ministering to the people. So that's the context. That's where he's at geographically, physically. That's what he's doing. There's a big crowd there. There's boats by the lake shore just really have come in from the night before, from, the, from, the, uh, from fishing all night. And they're tending their nets, and Jesus is teaching, and you can see the scene there. And what we begin to see is that Jesus, at this point, begins to enlist disciples. He begins to call people to join him in the work that he's doing, particularly there with Simon Peter. We're told that on one occasion, the crowd was so large, again, that he has to get into this boat to teach. And at that pivotal point, Jesus intentionally chooses to enter Simon Peter's boat. He could have chosen any number that day, but he chooses Peter's boat. 
And it's from this boat that he begins to not only finish his teaching, but call his first disciples. When you begin to look at the disciples, by the way, they're quite a diverse group of individuals, fishermen, tax collectors, political zealots, ordinary people. He calls them to follow him and invest their lives for the sake of his kingdom. Now, I want you to notice as we, as we consider this scene and this interaction with Peter, it's important for us to see what it is that the Lord calls us to as his followers, but what's present in a follower and a disciple. And we see that through Peter. After Jesus finishes his teaching, he's in Peter's boat, so Peter's in the boat with him. After he finishes his teaching, we're told, verse 4, when he finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now you can imagine for a moment Peter's thoughts. Peter is a professional. This is what he does. He fishes by trade. He's a professional fisherman. His livelihood is based on this activity. He's just finished coming in from a night of fishing. Nothing. And now he's in a boat with a carpenter. And this carpenter has the gall to tell Peter, the professional fisherman, to let down his nets for a catch. And we would only speculate to understand what's going through Peter's mind, but if we were I'd say we were probably pretty accurate because he tells us here in verse five, Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. So you know there's a dilemma in Peter at this moment. Like, are you, one, it's not even the best time of day to be fishing. Two, what does he know about fishing? Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But notice the next statement. But at your word, I will let down the nets. You see, everything in Peter was hesitant, skeptical, unsure. But despite his own knowledge and despite his own experience, he surrenders to Jesus' request and he lets down his nets. He chooses, despite everything he would have known experientially, he chooses to take Jesus at his word. Look at the text. Luke's very intentional here. Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, but at your word, I will let down the nets. He chooses to trust Jesus' word and not his own experience. He exhibits faith, weak though it may have been, Imperfect as it may have been, he chooses to trust Jesus. And this is a great moment for Peter. Peter's going to have many not-so-great moments, right? This is an important, a pivotal moment in the life of Peter as we think about what the Lord requires of those who follow him. Peter is demonstrating a, 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 an unyielding faith at this moment. You know, he's a fisherman. He knows that it's unlikely based upon his experience, that there's going to be fish at this time of day, at this particular location. But he says, but at your word, Jesus, I will let down the nets. I will trust you. I'll take you at your word. And that's a great question for all of us to consider this morning. Do we trust Jesus that way? Do we take Jesus at his word? 
even when it seems to go against all the other things that we're told, even when it seems to go against everything that our culture would say, even when it seems to go against all of the customs that we're used to or the experiences that we have, and Christ calls us to trust him, are we willing to take his word above any other word and submit to that word? You see, this is where where it all starts for the follower of Christ. Christian, follower of Jesus, disciple, all of these are the same person. Begins with an unyielding faith. Do we take Jesus at his word or not? Do we recognize his position and authority and are we willing to surrender to him by faith? And that faith, friends, will demonstrate itself in a variety of different practical ways. Faith is not just something that's, that's, that's inward. It certainly is. It's a trust. It's a, it's a posture of your heart. But faith is quite practical, isn't it? That's why Paul in Romans, talking about faith alone, and James, in James, talking about faith and works, how works are fruit of faith, how they all, they're not contradictory. It's, 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 it's all one big picture. Faith is quite practical, but it demonstrates itself outwardly in practical ways. Peter's case, it was demonstrated through a simple act he had done hundreds and hundreds of times before. How many times had Peter thrown the nets over? How many times had he done that mundane task, day after day after day after day, sometimes catching, sometimes not? And in this same familiar situation, Peter now does the same task he's done hundreds of times before, but this time it's quite different. He's doing it not based upon his own experience, he's doing it based upon the word of Jesus. The difference is that he was doing so on Jesus' terms, not his own. Brothers and sisters, faith does not have to be demonstrated in extraordinary ways. You don't have to have some mind-blowing story of faith. Faith is demonstrated in the day-to-day mundane activities of life, normal life. Are we taking Jesus at his word or not? And that can be demonstrated in very normal ways and very familiar ways to us, or certainly the extraordinary as well. shows itself in our our day-to-day lives and routines. A true disciple, listen, a true disciple is someone who takes Jesus at his word and puts his or her trust in that word, despite all other words. And this is an encouragement to us as we see Peter here. He's not a perfect man. Peter has many flaws and he will continue to expose those flaws imperfections, times where he doesn't trust. But here, he believes. At least Jesus, he's my experience tells me otherwise, but I'm still going to trust you and do what you've asked me to do. Following Jesus begins with an unyielding faith. That's characteristic number one of a disciple. Number two, Not only does a disciple have an unyielding faith, a disciple has a humble awareness. Look at verse 6. When they had done this, 
they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come help them and they came and filled both boats so they began to sink. Peter lets down the nets and he suddenly realizes things are not at all what he was anticipating. The nets begin to fill so much so that he has to call for help and then both boats are filled with all of these fish so that both begin to sink. It could be very likely that for Peter and James and John and these guys that they had never seen such a large catch of fish before in their life. Sure, they've had good days. Sure, they've had success, but nothing like this. Truly miraculous. And Peter's response is it a, Peter's response here is a very important response. So the boats begin to sink, verse seven, look at verse eight. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. Think about that for a minute. Jesus, or excuse me, Peter is a fisherman by trade. It's his livelihood. He's out in a boat with Jesus. Jesus has let down the nets, and all of a sudden there's two, two boats now so full of fish that they're about to sink. One would think Peter would be jumping for joy, amazed, happy, hugging Jesus' neck, rejoicing, but that's not what happens, is it? That's not Peter's response. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. He's on his knees before Jesus saying, get away from me, Jesus, for I'm a sinner. See, Peter had seen Jesus teach with authority. He had seen Jesus cast out demons. He had seen Jesus heal his mother-in-law just last week. But it's at this moment that Peter, for the first time, at least in his own experience, is confronted with the holiness of God in a way that he had not been aware of before. Something down deep happens in Peter's heart at this moment. With all the nets bursting with fish, the boats being filled, the guys probably running around frantic, Peter couldn't see the fish. He couldn't see anything but the reality of who Jesus was at that moment. And he fell to his knees in fear. A fisherman with this amount of fish in his boat, fearful. Friends, it wasn't as if Jesus said anything about Peter's sinfulness, not a word. He said, cast out the nets for a catch. Let's catch some fish. Not a word about his sinfulness. Peter is on his knees pleading with Jesus to get out of his presence because he's a sinner. Lord, depart from me for I'm a sinful man. As the late R.C. Sproul once wrote in his book, The Holiness of God, he said, sinful people are not comfortable in the presence of the holy. Sinful people are not comfortable in the presence of the holy. That's what Peter was experiencing at that moment. He was experiencing the weight of his sinfulness, 
the weight of his own heart in the, rea- in the face of the reality of who Jesus was at that point. He realized just how desperate he was. Here's the reality that Peter was confronted with. When you're confronted with the holiness of God, you can't help but be confronted with the depths of your sin. He's overwhelmed by the greatness of Jesus in a way that exposes him for the reality of who he is. being, Being overwhelmed with Jesus leads him to be overwhelmed because of how sinful he is. He understands now that there's a great gap, there's a great divide between him and Jesus at this moment. Friend, when you've truly encountered the living God, when you truly are confronted with the truth of who God is in his holiness, in his righteousness, the fact that he is the sovereign king over all creation, when you are confronted with the reality of who God is, you quickly understand, you quickly understand he's actually not the God of your own making. He's not the God you actually conjured up in your mind, the little tame God that you can kind of, kind of, exist to serve you. That's not the God of the Bible. Rather, when you're confronted with the God of the Bible, you are driven to your knees in humility because he is infinitely greater than you can fathom and you are infinitely more sinful than you realize. This God is something altogether different. The magnitude of his greatness far surpasses anything that we could fathom. Peter had good reason. Peter had good reason reason to respond the way he did. He had encountered true holiness. You know, one of the things that Peter didn't realize at this point is this truth. I think this is helpful for us. I, don't, I think he was learning it. Here's, here's something I think we should consider when we think about this situation with Peter and, and Jesus. You know, one's inability and sinfulness is actually an important prerequisite to being a true follower of Jesus. The reason I say it that way is because if you're perfect, if you have it together, if you're not a sinner, then you don't need Jesus. You see, it's only when we realize just how unholy we are, when we realize just how incapable we are, just how desperate we truly are, and how much we need Jesus, that is a good place, a good place for us to be. It's a humbling place to have this humble awareness that Jesus is infinitely greater than we often realize, and he is so much other than, he is so much different than us. He's not just our, our, our buddy. He is the holy God who deserves full worship and praise. And none of us deserve to be in his presence because of sin, none of us. It's not until Peter was in this humble posture that he could be fitted for service in God's kingdom. You see the same thing. This is a pattern, actually, in the Bible. We see it several times. If you were to go back to the book of Isaiah, you remember the calling of Isaiah, don't you? Isaiah chapter 6. Let me just read that very quickly. 
In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. With two he flew. One called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, this is Isaiah, I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. See, Isaiah was confronted with holiness, and his only response was, Woe is me. I am unclean. I am undone. Same response that Peter had in the boat. He's confronted with the holiness of Jesus at that moment, and his only response is, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. I heard one pastor talking about this passage, and friends, if, if, if Jesus were to physically walk into this room right now, no matter what you think, your response would not be to run over and just give him a high five. As cool as that would be, that's not what you would do. I think you look at Peter and you look at Isaiah and you'd find a completely different response. When you truly come face to face with holiness. And notice in Isaiah's situation, one of the seraphim, verse six, flew to me having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Verse 8, and I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here am I, send me. He said, go to save this people, and he gives him his instructions at that point. Not very, not, not, not a glorious ministry Isaiah was called to, by the way. But I want you to notice the, 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 the order in which this took place. See, holiness revealed. Isaiah humbled Woe is me, and then he's commissioned. Very similar pattern we find in Peter's example. He's confronted with the reality of who Jesus is right there in the boat, and he says, depart from me, for I'm a man, I'm a sinful man, O Lord. And it's gonna be at that point when Peter's life begins to pivot, begins to change, and he's going to begin to serve the Lord in a new way. He goes from brokenness to mission. The Lord used a net full of fish to lead Peter to see the fullness of who he was. And I just ask you just to take a moment and consider, is this the Jesus you claim to know and claim to serve? Is this the Jesus you profess to love and follow? Is he great and holy and glorious? Do you feel the, the, the good, the good weight of his glory? Or has he just become some other kind of hip, fun thing to talk about? Have you refashioned Jesus into some tame version that's more comfortable to be around? Holiness for us is not comfortable to be around. 
If Jesus has become comfortable for you to be around, you've got the wrong Jesus. He has a humble awareness. Number three, a disciple has a clarified purpose. Unyielding faith, you see him respond to faith, by faith, at his word. He's now humbled the reality of who Jesus is. And now he's been given a, a new purpose, verses 9 and 10. It says, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. So also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Look at the mercy being given here, comfort being given here. Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. It's a pivotal moment in Peter's life. Jesus says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Think about that. Jesus, or Peter just has been confronted with truth of who Jesus is. He's, he's humbled by the presence of holiness. Why was it possible then for Peter, as a sinner, standing before the holiness of God, to not be afraid? You see, while Peter would not see it at all at this point, Jesus was there to bring about the solution to the problem that Peter recognized. Peter recognized the problem that sin and holiness don't mix. He recognized that, he confesses it. That's why he's saying, Jesus, get away from me. I'm not like you. You're greater than me. You, you, you have no reason to be with me right now. And Jesus responds, do not be afraid from now on you will have a new sense of purpose and calling. See, Peter understands he has no right to be in the presence of Jesus. He has no right on his, on, on his own because he is a sinner. And again, sin and holiness do not mix. Yet Jesus came. Jesus came to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. He came to preach the good news. And the good news is this, is that the only way that sin, sinful people, sinners can be right in the presence of a holy God is through the gift of grace that God gives. The good news that Jesus came to proclaim is this, God in his holiness has made a way for sinners in their sinfulness to be reconciled with him and acceptable. The point of the gospel is that God comes to rescue and reconcile sinners. Peter's life changed at that moment. Not only was he now aware of the presence of God, he was being called to be an instrument in the service of God. Peter would serve as one of the 12 disciples and no doubt go on to play a critical role in the advancement of the gospel, the development of the early church. His vocation literally was about to change. He was going from full-time fisherman to full-time fisher of men. So he literally had a vocation change at this moment. Not, not only did Jesus call him to, to trust him, but he's calling him to an, a completely new assignment.
He was now to join Jesus and go on to do many important things for the sake of God's kingdom. This new ministry that Peter would be called into would now prioritize the kingdom of God, the advance of the gospel, and people being brought into this kingdom. Certainly this whole idea of fishing and catching and drawing in is is certainly yet another picture of what this work of ministry would look like. He says, from now on you'll be catching men. His task would involve the drawing of a different kind of net. And obviously Peter served a unique role as a disciple, as an apostle, as an early leader in the early church. His calling as an apostle is not something that we are called to repeat exactly like he had. But we need not think that his unique place in God's work of ministry and God's work of kingdom advance is not informative somehow to us. Jesus still calls people to follow and serve him. If you are a Christian, that is your calling. You have been called as a disciple, as a follower, not a fan, but a follower of Jesus. Your life now has a new sense of purpose and priority. You're not your own, you've been bought with a price. You have now a new mission, a new vocation. He still calls men and women to give their lives for the sake of this kingdom. Sometimes that will mean a change in vocation. Sometimes that will mean that you, brothers and sisters, are being called out of whatever it is you're doing now into full-time ministry. God still does that. For others of you, it may not mean that at all. It may mean that you're continuing to do what you do, but with a new sense of purpose and priority. But I don't wanna just run past this for a moment because, because here's, here's the fact. It may very well be that God is calling some of you to join him in some kind of full-time ministry work. Maybe. And some of you may have known that for a while and you've just been kind of putting it off, putting it off, putting it off, putting it off. And this is just a good reminder to just stop and ask that question again. Lord, would you have me give up what I'm doing right now, whatever that may be, to serve you in some kind of full-time capacity? To be involved in kingdom advance in some strategic place for the sake of the gospel. I think all of us need to ask that question. If you're just checking out until I get back to the rest of you for a minute, you you actually should ask that question. I don't care who you are. All of us should say, Lord, would you have me give up what I'm doing right now to serve you in some full-time capacity? It's a scary question to ask. Many different ways that you can do that, by the way. Whether it's ministry in a local church or whether that's going to the mission field. It's one of the things I love about the International Mission Board. You can go as a full-time missionary, fully funded by the International Mission Board, or you can even go as what they call a team associate if you're going to the, mission, if you're going to the nations. Self-funded, that means you continue working as a teacher or an engineer or something in business or whatever it is you do right now, except you're just gonna pluck, gonna pluck up from here, you're gonna move wherever the Lord would have you go, you're gonna keep doing what it is you do here, for a company that you do it for there, and yet you're assigned to a missionary church planting team, wherever that is. 
can serve on church planting teams right here in the United States, or you can continue to serve right here in intentional, strategic ways in our local community. The opportunities are endless. Some of you are needing to give serious attention to that question. I understand, though, that a good number of us, a majority of us in this room this morning may not be called to full-time vocational ministry of some kind. But all of us are called as disciples to be engaged in this sense of mission. We all as Christians, all of us as Christians have a new sense of of mission and purpose that is to mark our lives, no matter if we're doing it full-time or if we're doing it in some kind of lay capacity. All of us have been called to engage in gospel ministry. And the question is this, are you willing to go where Jesus sends you and do what he asks you? I think the beauty of this scene with Peter is that we see that even though Jesus is fully capable of executing this mission on his own, in God's plan, he has chosen to call us to join him in his work, to come alongside of him, to join him in the task. As we all have a new sense of purpose, a clarified purpose, all of us have been gifted in different ways to serve in the local church and wherever it is the Lord may send and lead us. Are we giving ourselves fully to that? Peter's vocation changed. That doesn't mean every disciple's vocation changes, but your priorities do, which leads me to number four. A disciple has a newfound loyalty. Jesus, in verse 10, said to Simon, do not be afraid from now on, you'll be catching men. And look at verse 11. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Notice what the text doesn't say. First of all, notice what it does say. It moves from singular focus on Peter to a plural focus on the the group. So now this was not just Peter's calling. It was now expanded to the others. Jesus says to Simon, verse 10 and verse 11, and they, when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. It doesn't say when they brought their boats to land, they went home and prayed about it some more and sought counsel for six to 12 months. It didn't say that they, they went and got opinions. It didn't say that, which is all not a bad thing. It just says they immediately left and followed him, leaving everything. They had a newfound loyalty. They had a newfound priority and it was Jesus. Luke was quite, again, deliberate in how he describes their response. They, it doesn't just say they left and followed him. They left everything, everything they had known and followed him. The nature of their commitment to Jesus was now going to be total. They were all in, no exceptions. They left their livelihood, they left their families, they left their community, they left it all to give their lives for the sake of the kingdom. Simple summary of how these early disciples respond to Jesus I think is of enormous importance because it's a statement. It's a statement on just how worthy Jesus is. People don't just give up everything to follow somebody. 
unless they believe that somebody is worth following. As these men reveal a newfound loyalty, and in that revelation, in that in, in, in their response, they are actually pointing to, again, the greatness and magnitude of who Jesus is. This one is worth leaving everything and following. They don't leave one foot kind of here and, and just kind of half follow Jesus when it's convenient or comfortable. Most of these guys would, be in, would end up giving their lives, Literally for the sake of this mission and for the sake of Jesus. I just ask you, friend, what do your actions reveal about the place of Jesus in your life? What do your actions, I'm not asking about your spouse, I'm not asking about your friend, I'm not asking about the person that you think about, uh, that, you know, we're really good at applying truth to other people, aren't we? I'm asking you, what do your actions what do your actions reveal about the place of Jesus in your life? Because this call is not simply for leaders in the church or for those who may be more spiritually minded or mature. This is a calling for every disciple. Sure, it's going to look different for everyone. Leaving everything and following Jesus is going to look different. For some of you, it may mean leaving your vocation, leaving your extended family, and going to some strategic place in the world where there are unreached people groups that need to hear the gospel, and you plant your life there for the sake of the kingdom of God. Some of you need to do that. Some of us need to be willing to go to the hard places, to leave it all behind, follow Jesus, and go and plant our lives for the sake of gospel advance among the nations. Some of us need to do that. And all of us need to be asking the question, Lord, is that me? Would you have me go do that? But all of us, all of us need to understand that this call to following Jesus is a call for every Christian. Jesus becomes now the priority. He is the one to whom we are loyal to above all else. Sometimes the Lord will teach us this truth through hard things. Sometimes the Lord will bring about hard things in our life to teach us that Jesus is more important than everything else. Sometimes he does that in good things. But friends, here's the thing. I think that we are prone to cling to things that are comfortable to us and that clinging to comfort will often hinder us from experiencing the fullness of joy that results in a life yielded in full to Christ. I just ask you, friend, what have you truly given up to follow Jesus? The call to discipleship is a call to forsake all in order to find Jesus as our all. Again, that may not mean 
moving. It may not mean uh, changing your job. It may mean staying right where you are doing exactly what you're doing, but your newfound loyalty will look radically different to those around you and how you prioritize your time, how you prioritize your resources, how you prioritize your parenting, how you prioritize your budgeting, your decisions, your contentment. All of these things will go into this newfound loyalty and you'll begin to understand that Jesus is the one to whom you owe everything. Not that you could pay him back. That will never happen. You shouldn't try, but you, you are yielded to him because he is the great supreme savior of sinners and he is worth everything, the entirety of our lives. And have you left it all to follow Jesus? I know that's such a simple sentence, but it, it's so weighty. Listen, Jesus is not someone we just simply ask into our hearts. He doesn't want just your heart. He wants everything. He is someone that lays claim to the entirety of our lives, not just bits and pieces here and there. Have you yielded to him in faith? Have you been humbled by the reality of who he is? The fact that you are sinners separated from him and your only hope is actually in him? Have you found this new clarified mission that he calls his people to be on? And is he truly your newfound loyalty? Friends, the, the call to discipleship, though it will look different, it will look different from person to person. The call to discipleship is a call though for us all. And this is where it begins. Do you see Jesus as worthy of all your devotion? Or is he just one God among many in your life? Comfortable, convenient, casual, or is he truly king? Friend, I'm not sure we can answer that question in the next five to 10 minutes, but you will answer that question in the remaining course of your life and how you live it and how you spend it. Will it be for him or will it be for you? Let's pray together. Lord, we acknowledge that every Everything that we have comes from you. Everything. Our breath, our health, our hope. And Lord, we acknowledge this morning that we deserve to be in the same place Peter was in that boat. Because like Peter, we are all sinful. And when we're when we're confronted with the reality of who you are, Lord, that is the only response. Lord, depart from us for we are sinful people. We have no right to be in your presence on our own standing. And yet, Lord, you delight. You take joy in pursuing 
sinners. You take delight and joy in pursuing those who are unlike you, deserving of justice that you will bring against sin. Yet, Lord, you have in grace have provided everything we needed to be forgiven of our sin, to be clothed in righteousness, to be accepted by you, no longer seen as sinners, but seen as fully clothed in the righteousness of Christ, forgiven fully of our sin. Father, we thank you for this great hope of redemption, this great work of reconciliation that Jesus came and accomplished so that we can be your followers. My prayer this morning, Lord, is that you would show us in our own lives where we have been too complacent, where we've been too comfortable, where we've been too much at home. And forgive us. Father, would you call us to further obedience? Would you call us to respond as disciples? And that we would live as disciples. For your glory and your honor, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.